sound of sensation across the nation. Listen to Radio Goodies. Boom. Welcome to the Goodies Power Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. I'm Rob. And I'm Tom. And this is episode 58. We're starting series seven wow. with alternative roots, also known as the Goodies Find Their Roots or Hoots, Toots and Fruits. <laughs> this was first broadcast on the 1st of November, 1977, a Tuesday still broadcasting at 9pm. Mm. Richard, what did you think of this one? I enjoyed this. I think there's probably some things we're going to talk about as we get into the episode, but I thought this was a really solid start to the season. Rob? I loved it. I thought it was really good, especially the first bit. I thought it was really strong. Uh, Yeah, I went into this with really bad memories from my childhood where I think I just completely did not understand what the hell was going on in this one. But I laughed a lot, sometimes a little bit guiltily, but I laughed a lot. I don't think this is an episode a kid would get much out of, given the satirical nature of it. Yes. But it's got a lot better with age, or, or as we've aged. <laughs> Tom, what about you? It's a great episode for all of its questionable content. It's a lot of fun. Great, well we'll dive into it then. It opens with Bill interrupting Tim trying to take a self-portrait, including the line, you made me flash before I was ready for it, and using the instant portrait maker machine. Yeah, now that picture actually Tim does have that, and it's in his house. Yes. <laughs> Tim, we discover, is trying to have a portrait done of himself to add to the collection of the Brooke Taylor family history, which leads us then on a bit of a potted tour of the old Brooke Taylors and that all the talks about the aristocracy and the chins. Yes, the Brooke Taylor family motto is Semper Arcetus. My Latin isn't very good, but I assume that's how you pronounce it, which is always shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they then do the gag about the coat of arms, which... Tim has some wonderful lines there, you know, the family, you know, TBT and all the rest of that, and it's actually inverted to be a sheep stealer. <laughs> That's really clever, that. I've always enjoyed that. And he's very, very clever. At that point, Graham bursts in, in sort of Highland Scottish mock garb, you know, the bonnet and the kilt, etc., etc., and says that he's been off discovering his roots. Yes, after the bit where they don't recognise him and Bill confirms his identity by looking up his kilt. Yes, that is Graham. <laughs> also, Tim hadn't realised that Graham was away and thought he was in the toilet, and now he knows it's free, desperately needs to go. Let me tell you my wee wee story. Yeah. Yes. Down I mean... by the stream, <laughs> the water falling gently. <laughs> so we then get the alternative story of how the goodies were formed. So Graham starts with his, he's called Hoots. Yes. The episode, the first half of the episode particularly, obviously is a straight lift from Roots which is the landmark drama series, American drama series about Punta Quinte, who, well, basically about slavery in... America. Yes, in America. So Hoots is a straight lift of the first part of Roots, which goes through Punta Quinte becoming a man and being accepted into the manhood of his tribe and then being cleaned up. So I go on. Yeah, so we get a Scottish version of that yes. in, a, in a town near the towns of Lockjaw, Ben Dune and Dunghill. Yes, between Glen Fort and Glen Campbell, <laughs> near First Degree Burn. <laughs> yeah, some very good visual jokes there. 
And they do subvert the gag as well by having some various modern technology in there. There is the computer bank from the Three Doctors Doctor Who episode <laughs> using the Wotan and sound effect from a 1966 Doctor Who episode. Sure. It's, it's a little bit scary that I recognised all yes, that, but I yes. did. They do some very interesting jokes there about the place of women in Scottish society, like his wife, Flora McKitchen. Yes. <laughs> They obviously get to mine this for a lot of stereotypical Scotch gags. They do the joke about the haggis. They do Scots being tight with money, the kilts. Yeah, the hunting of the haggis, I thought, was actually very funny. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole sequence is really, really well done. Even you know, when, when his father takes him up to the top of the mountain and he's holding him up, that's a really strong memory for when I was a boy. <laughs> the boy urinates on him. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the father had grown old and bent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have the bit around the fire. Yeah, it's a very funny sequence. We then move on to Bill telling about his family history as apple farmers in what I assume is meant to be Cornwall, which is well, fruits. It, it is that sort of very sort of stereotype, sort of a mummerzat type accent. Yes, but... and the smocks and the farmers. Yes. Who are. <laughs> that doesn't go on as long because we then get into the tourist traders. Now, I was a little bit confused with this. Were they meant to be picking them up to take them around as to tour? Or were they picking them up to actually sell them off to the BBC? Mm-hmm. Both. Yeah, both. They sort of have a bob each way on that joke. Yeah. Because they do do the bit where they put them on the tourist circuit to break their spirits. Ah, yes. Okay. And then sell them. But yeah, it's interesting because they're called the tourist traders. They're not actually trading tourists. Mm. They are... No. Now, we should mention here we have a guest star, which we haven't had for quite a while. True. Which is Brian Pringle as the tourist trader. Yes. Now, he's been in a lot of big-name things, although with small parts. He was in How I Won the War, Brazil, Jabberwocky, Lawrence of Arabia, even. Uh, all minor parts in there. Yeah, he's, he's been in a lot. He's not someone I think we would recognise for these roles, but okay. he's had quite a long career. Now, once they're on the Tourist Traders bus, they also are joined by Tim and his tribe of uh, sheep stealers. <laughs> Picked up along the highway. <laughs> yes. And the sheep. And the sheep. And the sheep. <laughs> And then we have the sequence where, because they've all got regional accents, they can't understand each other's language, so they uh, get various gags in there, they decide to sing their spiritual We Shall Overcome, which is done to various different songs. I think the Scots do it to Old Lang Syne. The Somerset people do it to the theme to The Archers. <laughs> I couldn't work out what Tim's lot were doing, though, and I'm not sure they actually were doing anything, I'm just no. making a high-pitched noise. This is meant to mimic the fact that different tribes of Africa yes basically you have to have space. to sort of bond on the boat well yeah. not bond but obviously are chucked together on the boat and you know they can't communicate so they have to find a common language yes yeah and let's face it if you drive from Cornwall to Scotland the accents and the colloquialisms and the dialects actually do change yes. quite considerably so it works on that level as well now he needs to break their spirit so one thing he does is take them on a tour of the post office tower <laughs> out to the revolving restaurant which normally revolves I believe it does one rotation every hour this was going a little bit faster. <laughs> basically, basically, was a centrifuge. Yes. <laughs> and so there's some very good visual gags in there when they do that. I was taken back to my childhood with that particular uh, that, 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 that scene where they're just food flying everywhere. Yeah. yeah. People falling. But however, they get to their final destination, which is the BBC Television Centre. Now no longer standing, sadly. No. But I have toured it. I have been there. Okay. Well, they get taken into the BBC and they're now yeah. to be sold as chorus performers for variety shows. And you go through the auction where they have some for the young generation, some for Seaside Special, 
Some for Shirley Bassey. Anyone for Max Bygraves? No one for Max Bygraves. <laughs> um, they go to the new edition to Lulu to the good old days. Still no one for Max Bygraves. <laughs> um, Val Dunican. And then finally one lone. One lo- for Max Bygraves. Yes, one lone chap is taken off for Max Bygraves. What was what, something for Rolf and Friends? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they wanted to put the goodies on Rolf and Friends because there's one which just leaves the three goodies on the stage unsold. We, we should mention, though, when the one guy is sold to the Max Bygrave show, he does break down crying. It's <laughs> actually quite funny. It has to be sort of carried off to, 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 his, to his fate. And then, yeah, they're, they're comforting him. Oh, we're so sorry for you. Yes, which I guess, considering we're mocking slave markets, we probably really shouldn't be laughing at. But anyway. Well, of course, the goodies aren't sold, so he then wants to break their spirit further and takes them to the cotton fields. Yes. This is where it begins to descend? Well, it's probably a play, I'm guessing, on Bill Cotton, who I think had recently taken over as BBC controller. But I guess it also is the plantation states, I would imagine, where they were put to work. (laughs) I always took this as, you know, it was part of... They're all musical routines, well-known musical yes. routines yeah knees um, up mother brown, brown nothing like a dame, dame a hoedown yeah, traditional yeah. cockney routine yeah exactly so i think it's just the choice of words so it hasn't quite gotten to that stage of being extremely uncomfortable yet <laughs> however it's we then have, uncomfortable it's merely uncomfortable however we then have the line you think that if you're so bad no one will have you to which they nod he says there's one place that'll have you <laughs> at which point we cut to them in black and white minstrel makeup Yes. Yes. Now we're getting uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start off with a few bits of facts and information. Richard, do you want to take us through what the Black and White Minstrel Show actually was? Well, extremely racist, probably. (laughs) But uh, yes, so it was essentially, it was in a variety series. It ran for about 20 years in the late 50s through to the late 70s. So it's actually, at this point, we're not that far off it being cancelled. Started out as a special, and I think the special was extremely well received, so they went to series. And the players in it were a group called the George Mitchell Minstrels, which consisted of three main lead singers with obviously a number of backing singers. Now, there was also female dancers and other performers in there as well who, who weren't in blackface. Plus, you'd have interludes from comedians. Quite famously, just prior to this, uh, one of Lenny Henry's early appearances was on the Black and White Minstrel Show about a year before this. Genuine black man appeared on the Black He was contractually obliged to appear on it. It's not obviously something he ever would have done had he not been contracted. I mean, we all say now it was a terrible racist program. It was a really big smash hit in Britain. I mean, we're talking 15 million plus viewers watched it. It was like one of their staples on their Saturday night programming. Probably two other points. It actually won the Golden Rose of Montreux in 1961. Wow. It was extremely popular. It was sold around the world. They released a number of albums. The first few albums were all like chart toppers and sold several hundred thousand copies and while they were actually doing it on tv just quickly there was also a stage version which was just touring around regional centers and holiday camps and that sort of stuff they cancelled the tv version in 1978 the stage version actually continued for another 11 years after this and finally wound up in 1989 now it's very late yes i mean we hasten to add by the end they were starting to a lot of the numbers weren't being done in blackface later on. There were still minstrel numbers. They were uh, still calling themselves the Black and White Minstrel yes, Show. Yes, it was still being called the Black and White Minstrel Show. I'm old enough. I do remember it vaguely being on here, on TV I here. I remember it being on here. Yeah. So we need to talk about the conversation the goodies have about this show in there because I think you can't judge or understand this episode without focusing on this conversation. Mm. Tim actually says, no, it's a good, wholesome show. 
where people just enjoy singing and dancing. To which Graham says, well, why do we need all this indicating yeah. the black makeup? And actually says, you know, this is you know, it's redundant. Now, Tim then makes a point which I believe is drawn from real life. Yeah, Tim then makes a point that they took off the black makeup and only rated half as well, which is true because the thing with the minstrels, it had been attracting criticism really since in the 60s. So finally the BBC in the late 60s cancelled it. They called it, well now it's either masquerade or music, 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 depending on which source you read from. It was the same guys and same basic concept for the show, but it was done totally without blackface. It didn't really rate and they got allegedly a heap of letters wanting the minstrels back. So the BBC relented and blacked them up and back on they came. It's interesting that Tim basically intrudes into the story with a piece of fact. And yes. You, mm. you don't see them do that. But as you say, they're basically setting up the premise of the rest of the episode. Mm. Yes. And I think I think there's any doubt at all from that conversation that they are condemning this. Yes. Now, are they, as we've discussed before, whether it's you know women's liberation or whatever, by actually doing it themselves, are they undercutting the morality of them condemning it? But I think there's no doubt that they're condemning that this is not appropriate. Yeah. They are. I mean, Tim, obviously, and again, it's sort of maybe that, that two goodies versus one, but Tim initially, obviously, is one happy minstrel until he's shown the error of his ways when the BBC black all their programs up mm. um, and he becomes one aggravated minstrel. Yeah, and they even make the point of calling him Uncle Tim. Yes, <laughs> which I thought, I thought was quite clever. At one point, but... I, I thought it was sort of brave of the show to actually I, I feel as if they were condemning the BBC for a bit of moral cowardice there that you took the show off it didn't it rated half and then you weren't prepared to go with it you actually decided to cave in to the people yes. writing in and you brought it back as blackface yeah. just yeah. for the sake of the ratings that's exactly right it is worth noting a couple of points here just in terms of background but the concept of that sort of blackface was originally done as a parody of the Negroes and that's why it's got that accentuated lips and the hair and everything. It, it, yes. it was absolutely done as a parody and a very unpleasant one. Hmm. On the same time, though, you had someone like Al Jolson who ended up doing his routine, and his view was well, black performers are not allowed to perform black music in these venues. So, well, to stick it up the establishment, I'm going to do it. And everybody loved it. And you know, Al Jolson, you know, famously, he refused to perform with Cab Calloway unless Cab Calloway was given the same wake as he was, which at the time he wasn't because hmm. he was a black performer and they were. And, and they, were, they were paid less, so Al Jolson was actually pushing the point. His performance of Mammy is actually immortalising what I think was the first big talkie, which was the jazz singer, and that's yes. part of the highlight of that. So it's very easy to go, all blackface is racist, but I think you can be more nuanced. But there's no doubt the original blackface was... A negro send-up. A yeah. negro send-up and a very unpleasant one. Yeah. yeah. So having had that serious conversation, yes. they decide to rebel. Yes, well, before that, they, of course, do the twist on the joke, which is, well, why don't you just black everything up? Yes, Where, where of course, you then get the ad with the BBC unfailing New Seasons programming, yeah. yes, which includes the $6 million man who's now a minstrel, yes. Coco Jack, historical drama with I Rastus, <laughs> Black Peter, our old friend Sooty, <laughs> and um, Mike Yarwood. Yes, Mike Yarwood, who was an impersonator, and obviously he's doing all his impersonations as minstrels, and Michael Darkinson. Yes. And then a whited who was interviewing a whited out Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and, and again, that's making the point of point that if this generally just was about ratings, well, why wouldn't you do it all the time? And I think there's no doubt where the goodies are coming from in this. As a result, they then decide to rebel. And they even say there will be no rivers of blood, which is a you know, reference to Enoch Powell's speech on race. And they're saying, they're, well, 
they're outright using his own words and saying it will not be this way. Mm. It's funny that they black him off power a few later on. So. Yes, he yes. does. <laughs> Basically, and Graham makes the point, yeah, that's right, we want programming that's not the slave to ratings. Yes. Which is, as we said, a riff on the missiles returned in the late 60s. So, yeah. Now, we need to probably mention the whole routine with the minstrel songbook where they are converting Land of Hope and Glory into a minstrelized version. And I think it's just showing the absurdity and, and the... Well, I, I suppose if you're going down that path, that's the characterisation that audiences would expect. Yes, Land yes. of Hope and Glory. Mammy! Ob, Ob the Free. Yeah, and you look at that now and you just go, how utterly ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. I mean, given, within the context of the Juvat line, Dave, yeah, it, it is definitely, you know, ridiculous. Mm. Mm. And, and I think they're showing that ridiculousness. Mm. Yeah. It, it is also funny. I mean, I know it, it is, can be uncomfortable viewing, but the whole sequence is, I found it very funny. Yeah, as did I, as did I. And I, I think that you can laugh, but still acknowledge that there is a very pointed message in there. Absolutely. Hmm. So they then get to their big rebelling performance where they reveal the various different minstrels of all colours. So the orange minstrel, the green minstrel, the uh, pink with orange spots minstrel. <laughs> yes. The I Have a Dream, Martin Luther King yes. speech. For the goodies to be referencing Enoch Powell and Martin Luther King Jr., kind of shows how seriously they're taking this. That's very unusual for them at this point. Anybody want to take us through the uh, escape from the BBC centre? Black alert. Black alert. Uh, it's sort of hard because they set the minstrels free, but they're obviously still behaving like minstrels as they're being chased around. A lot of jazz hands. Yeah, um, the knees shaking. Yes. Very cartoon. That's where the, the, the goodies, if it's a choice between being... Well, no, making a point and going for the gag, they'll go for the gag. Oh, for sure. For the gag, yes. and, uh, this is out of the Tom and Jerry handbook, this end film sequence, the chase yes. and everything else. You know, you're going through where they're being chased down the corridor, you've got the big dog noises with the little dog and the, the, the guard making the noise <laughs> around, the <laughs> corners, uh, around the corner. They break um, the sound effects thing and then they have, you know, the train go going go through by. the bomb. Yep. And, the bomb like that. Or the back projection chase where they're running on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fun bit. Running past Angela Rippon. Yeah, so she jumps up, up on the desk, desk with, a, with her underpants showing. Yeah, basically, yeah. and then they come back to admire. But that's two things, I think, because some of the, the minstrels' numbers were they'd have a white lady on a pedestal and they would be sitting there singing up at her. Yeah. Is that, and she, I think also, I think the bit where you can see her legs, she'd been on, it wasn't Dancing, not Dancing with the Stars, whatever the 70s version of Dancing with the Stars come was. Dancing. Yes, and it actually acquitted herself quite well, mm. I think so. But I think it's almost going back to that Tom and Jerry chase. Because she's jumped on the table. Yes, like the, the housekeeper jumps up yeah. on the, yeah. So from that part to the point where they release the, the bow ties as butterflies and the, uh, the guards chasing them, yep, butterflies, yep. falls out the window, but they manage to beat him downstairs and still get caught by it. Yep. Uh, and then there's the final chase through the corridors where they land into the, the vat of development. Development flu- developing fluid and they become white and the guard becomes a minstrel and everything's reversed in, in, into the negative. Yeah. And, and you then pull back to the BBC executives... Who've been watching all this. Uh, ...give the lads a series. series. Yeah. Give these boys a show. Which is meant to be the entire premise of the episode, that this is the story of how the goodies Yes, became right. the goodies, yes. Mm. I agree that watching it now, some of it is uncomfortable, mm. but I'm utterly comfortable that the goodies are on the right side here, and they are attacking... The yes. same things we have finding. I did have a note here. Given the number of blackface jokes they've made in the series to this point, suddenly now coming out and attacking the black and white minstrels does seem a touch hypocritical, perhaps. But <laughs> and it is also that difficult thing of 
being a comedy and trying to be pointed. We talked about this particularly with the Women's Lib episode, where is showing Graham being a misogynist mm. to prove the point that misogyny is awful, something that works. Same thing here, is putting the goodies in blackface to show how bad it is. Does that work? Look, I think their intentions are right. I think it's funny, which is the main point. Would we do it today? No. no, no. I'd almost put this, almost put this on par with South Africa, where the circumstances that have led to what they've done to discuss a very disgusting practice by hmm. a certain foreign regime at that time, and just the way it was handled. I think, as you said, based on what had come of the, the minstrel speech and where they've stood on that, is very much the same platform that they were using. All right, we'll pause that there. Any other thoughts on the episode generally before we move into our regular segments? It's fun. It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Mm. For sure. And it is a very good example of where the goodies can move between different ideas quite nimbly. You get that Scottish set of gags, very good. You get the Cornish set of gags, very good. Um. You get the BBC stuff, you get the minstrel stuff. Because it moves between them, I think it's a very strong episode. And I contrast that, for example, with something like 2001 and a bit that we were a bit down on, where it's really only got a couple of ideas and doesn't move between them as nimbly. There's a lot of ideas in this one. I think that really helps Mm. the humour because there's so many things to mine here and they mine them all. Were there any cuts here? Yes, there was one edit made here, which is right back at the start. It's a bit about the maidens licking off young Graham's coating of porridge after he's been dumped in the porridge vat. So we know where the line was drawn in 1977. Yes. Okay. We'll move then to our regular segments. Firsts and tropes. Of hope and glory, obviously. Yes. Well, it's not even a first. This is actually a last. We're now getting far enough into the series. We're getting a last. The Fred Tomlinson singers are here. It's them as the minstrels and some of the chaps on the bus. This, I believe, is actually their last appearance in the goodies. We don't see them again after this. We've got Rolf Harris mentioned. Yes. Max Bygraves is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Bob Powell. Yeah. The Minstrels. The Minstrels, of course. Uh, another instance of Graham falling into a vat of some form of liquid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess we can probably add the blackface trope. Yes. It is the, at least the second time they visited BBC TV Centre. Yep. And it's another homage to Tom and Jerry. Okay. What couldn't they get away with today? Ooh, the last 12 minutes, I think. Well. <laughs> I think we need to particularly highlight them coming back to Ogle, Angel Ripon in her underpants. Mm. That's actually, I thought that was quite crass. Mm. I don't think you would do... There's actually two gay jokes in there. There's a the bit where Tim's ancestor would come across with anyone and the bit about how Kilty's father has grown old and bent. <laughs> Oh, I found that one quite funny. I thought they were funny. I don't know that you yeah, did yeah. now. Well, they're nothing like a dame swelling to that routine as well. A gay routine. Yes, to, that's true. To go from there. You had Rolf Harris as not only a trope, but would you go down that path? Or... No, I don't think so. Well, I don't think Rolf Harris would be given another TV series. So, <laughs> <laughs> Rolf Harris and Friends actually wasn't a real series. He was doing a show at the BBC at that time, but it wasn't yeah. called that. No. And our favourite gags. I'm going to go for the BBC's new season programming. I thought that was really funny. The one that really made me laugh, though, was a new historical drama with Irastus. <laughs> I, myself, I'm fond of Hoots. I liked Graham's growing up, the Haggis Chase. Watching the young maidens lick the porridge <laughs> off him and doing nasty things to his foreign. I, too, enjoyed the, the Scottish segment, especially the one for Angus has grown older and... <laughs> 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 it's just funny. I'm going for the actual haggis prop 
I think Thor the Hacker's creature. <laughs> Just the way it looked, I thought that was hilarious. But as I say, as a kid, I got none of this, mm. and I thought it was a very boring episode. I laughed so much watching this. But it is quite poignant. Yeah, I, going back to what we said earlier, I don't think a kid would get anything out of this. No, I, I don't remember really enjoying this when I was young either. Okay, so what we're going to do now is move into regular start of season discussion. Where are they now? We were a little bit down on season six. Is season seven looking to be better? Are the goodies on the decline or was it just a bit of a blip? I think we've got some great episodes coming up in this season. And this is probably the first of them. Three of the six episodes are just absolutely blown away. That's the first of those three. They took a slightly longer break. They did obviously less in Series 6. And, and for this one, there is a slightly longer break than just the usual year. There's about 18 months, I think, between Series 6 and this, which allowed them to go out and spend some time on solo projects because they were finding very much that they were sort of being treated as a gestalt entity. You know, you spoke to one goody, ergo you'd spoken to all three of them and that sort of thing. So it was important for them to really have some downtime. I actually think you're seeing the benefits of that in this. I, I think there's some great episodes in this one. Mm. It, it does feel like watching this episode and a couple to come that they have had some, some time off and they're actually enjoying it a lot more now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, we, we obviously talk in terms of content. I mean, they've moved completely now away from what they were doing in the earlier season. I'm just going to say, is it, a, is it a case that season five is regarded as their high point? Yes. But is it more that it's the latter few episodes of season five where they've, they've reached their comedic peak? So is that a cool, is that I, just chance and the um, first half of season five is patchy and they're just sort of returning to the mean now? Oh, look, I mean, season five, I think, as we've talked about, starts off really well. I think there are eases off a bit, but then you get to Scatty Safari about, what, episode six, where it really suddenly takes a big upswing again. I I do think probably with these later seasons, they've probably got better as they've aged, or as I think we said, as we've aged. Mm. There's a lot more nuances than that in these later episodes that, let's face it, we wouldn't have got 30-odd years ago. Mm. So as well as having moved away from the agency thing now, I think completely. Yes. Although we do see their office again in a couple of episodes later this year. A couple of things that I've noticed, back when we started doing these podcasts, I know I'll spend quite a bit of time in my episode watching, stopping to write down all the details of the big guest actors that were mm. in them. Writing down the stuff for Brian Pringle for this one, I realised was the first time in weeks that mm. we've actually had a guest star. Yep. And so they've completely moved away from that as well. Whereas what we are now doing is I'm spending a lot more time researching what it is they're satirising. Yes. So we've been out and looked at Roots. We've been out and had to look up Black Beauty and all the various different mm. versions of that. We're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, they do Close Encounters. We're going to see Grease, Saturday Night Fever, you know, all of that sort of thing coming up and a lot more real-world references. So the, the whole dynamic of the show has changed, but I think they're having a lot of fun doing it. And I agree. I think that after a bit of a lull last season where they were burnt out, we get a really good last sort of, you know, set of episodes to finish over the next couple of seasons. There are some more changes and things. Probably the biggest change behind the scenes is Jim Franklin. Uh, he's still producing the series overall, but he's no longer directing the individual episodes. You've now got Bob Spires, and he will stick directing them to the end of the series and crosses with them to ITV. Probably going back to how the scripts are now perhaps more complex and nuance. They do get into trouble with a couple of the scripts during this season. Punky Business, which is the BBC get a bit touchy about because it's too offensive. Um, We'll talk about that in a few weeks. They also get into trouble with the Royal Command episode because this is during the Jubilee year and of course the BBC are a bit touchy about uh, showing things with the Royal Family in them. And again, we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it in a few weeks. They're they're certainly bolder in who they're willing to actually attack. Yes. Which which I think just comes from 
them being a little bit more untouchable, more status, more success. They're still doing quite a few appearances on other shows at this point. Last week we sort of talked about really, I think we're at the end of their music career, mm. really. I mean, I know that there's an album around now, but we're really, I think, at the end of them as, as popular recording artists. They've had a couple of things to expand beyond this. We've talked a few times about them doing a stage show. They did actually get reasonably close to doing a pantomime, which fell through at the last minute. I think the people financing it got cold feet. I think that was largely a cost thing. I think when they sort of cost what a goodies pantomime would probably cost. And you have much the same thing with the film. As we referenced a few times, that goodies themselves were extremely keen to do a film. Mm. And they did have discussions with people but it sort of then became, well, yes, when, when we got around to talking about money, people suddenly started losing interest. So TV now, at this point, really from here on in, the TV is their main medium. For, um, for me, I'm certainly looking forward to the, the next run of episodes. I think creatively, I think they're they beginning to expand and they're beginning to change their approach slightly from earlier seasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what the rest of the well, series is. My, my favourite, sorry, my, I was going to say, my favourite episode of the whole series is coming up in the next few weeks, so... As is mine. Yeah, so and they're actually different episodes too. So I think so. But yeah. the other one's my second favourite, so... Yeah, there you go, so... <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a couple of personal favourites that are coming up as well. We're now more than seven years away from when they debuted. Yes. And they've obviously aged a bit in that time. To what extent is the change in the dynamic partly driven by that, in that they're no longer as comfortable throwing themselves around doing extra-long filmed inserts and pratfalls and the like and actually trying to rely on more wordplay and clever scripts. And is that partly just them aging as well? I think it's just the maturing, isn't it, really? I mean, you, yeah. what, you, what you start off doing is not what you end up finishing with. No. But there's only so much you can get out of the earlier approach where they had, which is a more physical comedy. And the slapstick stuff. Yeah, a more broader comedy, and now they're becoming a bit more pointed. They probably feel that they had something to say. Mm. And mm. you can see that in this episode that we've just looked at today. So after a bit of a break and a bit of a lull, they're back on form, we reckon. Yeah. I think so, yes. yes. Fantastic. All right, well, hopefully that was an interesting discussion. Hopefully you all got something out of that. As always, if you want to let us know what you thought, uh, contact details are in the outro. But next week we will be having a look at Dodo Nuts. So, as you sail to Mauritius, why don't you take a walk in the Black Forest? You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. already taken away our independence. Now they're going to try to take away our spirit, our identity, even our names. Now we must remember our names. Now what's yours? I'm Celtic Kilty. I'm County Cutie. Right. And I'm Coin Kinky. Right. <laughs>